As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. My name is Taylor Payne and coming up on this week's episode we're going to rake over the coals of one of the worst games of football I've ever witnessed, the 0-0 of the West Brom. Uh, we'll be returning to take over land to find out the latest with the club's ongoing arbitration proceedings. We'll be taking you back in time to relive the arrival of Rafa Benitez five years on from the day he rocked up at St James's Park. And the quiz returns, and this week George is in the hot seat and asking the questions. Before we get to all of that, George and Chris, how are you doing? I think the question on everybody's lips, Chris, is how's your chin? Uh, my chin has just, it's recovering. It's uh, its still there, the scar. The battle scar is still there, but um, I have new, I suppose you could call them wounds, in that I have also... I've, <laughs> Alice has been let uh, loose on my hair again. This time there aren't tram lines, but I do oh, instead no. have a sort of oh, triangular no. shaped head. I don't have a, f- I don't have any hair on my forehead, but then God. if you go back, it like tapers up and it looks like I've got a triangular shaped head. I have seen the picture, Chris, and it is God. absolutely incredible what your wife, what your wife has done to you. <laughs> you look like you look like a rendering of a footballer from an old computer game. That's what you, you've got like a. a a geometric head. It's incredible. And that matched with the scar on your chin. I mean, you, Christopher. Christopher Waffles. Mr. Triangle. Mr. Triangle with his horizontal <laughs> shaving injury. It's just... What, do, what are we supposed to... What, what are we doing? George, you're meant to be guiding this lad through his... You know... I've come tried on. my best. I've tried my best. At the, at the Athletic, we're supposed to have this kind of scheme where we're mentoring people. I don't know what to do it's with lost Chris. cause, isn't he? I mean, I think it says a lot about you that I have turned out this way, so. <laughs> Maybe there's a point there, yeah. Maybe I need to look at myself in the mirror. I mean, How are you, George? I'm How are you doing? Are you not. okay? Yes, I'm okay. I mean, yes, it's a bit sort of uh, dispiriting listening to that, isn't it, from Chris? Um, but no, apart from that, I'm all right, yeah. I'm it's been a hectic okay. week, hasn't it? Is hectic the right word? Oh, it's been shit, hasn't it, George? Let's be honest. Yes, okay, yes. <laughs> 
Oh, but come on, let's save that up. Her, let's it? save that up. How are I'm you doing? I'm all right. I'm not. I'm not too bad. Um, I've, I've I've kind of I've grown a bit of facial hair over the last couple of weeks, and my hair started getting longer. And the Ben said to us the other day, "Daddy, you look a little bit like Captain America on one of the Avengers films." And I thought, "Oh, that's quite good." And then the other one went, "Yeah, but loads fatter." <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> So that's me. Um, before we jump headlong into a pool of despair, uh, I need to fill everyone in on the latest offer from The Athletic. So right now, uh, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of three ninety nine a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. Uh, you'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very, ve- very, the very best, the very best football writers around possibly wearing vests. I don't know. Uh, as well as free ad versions of all the podcasts. Uh, Chaps, have we got any good articles coming up at the minute? Anything anything for the uh, the listeners and the readers to keep an eye out for? Well, over the last few days, we have had some very, very uplifting pieces, obviously, given the situation Newcastle United are in. So uh, George and I, along with a couple of our colleagues, uh, Adam Crafton and David Ornstein, did a big piece looking at Richie versus Bruce, which we'll, we'll get on to, but basically um, whether that is just one incident that, that has just flared up or whether it's sort of more emblematic of what is going on within the club also did a piece George and I with Matt Slater Matt Slater did, did the majority of it on the, the arbitration case and what exactly Newcastle's statement last week meant and then I also did a piece after the wonderful game at uh, the Hawthorns basically looking at Newcastle's decision to go there and try and eke out a draw against a side who are absolutely hopeless so some three very <laughs> enjoyable reads for you there I have done a piece on a year without fans, and so that should be going up by the time that this podcast is out. And what I sort of did, in a strange cheating sort of sense, I tried to kind of recreate a day uh, in the northeast. So I went to the Stadium of Light, where Sunderland were playing at home, but I went to a bar in Newcastle City Centre, and I went to the Riverside Stadium as well. And over the course of a kind of morning afternoon, tried to talk to long-standing fans about not being there over the past year how that's felt and um, what football might look like when it comes back and I talked to a couple of people who you know had missed one game for two decades or more and how it felt suddenly and a lot of that was kind of quite sad in some ways and it was quite um, you know evocative I suppose and emotive about that about that sort of sense of ritual that we've lost and really what we've lost, of course, is human connection. So it's kind of all about that, really. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, when all this started and we and we found out that football was going to go behind closed doors, um, I think none of us thought it would still be a year later. We'd still be waiting for the stadiums to reopen. But, you know, there is a bit of light at the end of the tunnel now. There's talk of, of the European Championships being played with crowds and stuff like that. So... You never know, dear. Let's see what let's see what the future holds. Anyway, um, if you want to catch up any of those articles from George and Chris, get yourself to theathletic.com forward slash pod on the tine and take advantage of the special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash pod on the tine. Anyway, chaps, let's tackle the first thing on our on our list here. The West Bromwich Albion game. I normally before we do these podcasts, I make a load of notes and I put a load of stuff down on a on my tablet just so I've got some little uh, headings to to read from as we go through. And I have one word uh, under the West Bromwich Albion game, and it is dog shit. Uh, <laughs> I don't, don't really know any other way to describe it, chaps. Is that one word, or is that two words? I think, it's one I, word. I think dog shit's one word, personally. Dog shit. Yeah, I think it's okay. one word. Yeah, I can see that on the on the running order, yeah, it hasn't sort of highlighted it as, as a spelling mistake. So, yeah, okay, one word, fine. Sorry, Chris. Excellent. Go on, Chris. Well, I was, I was just going to say that, it, that you mentioned it to, yeah... 
since fans have been in that Sunday was the first away game I've covered for Newcastle in a year, exactly a year. So I was at Southampton last year, and then because we are only getting uh, one reporter from the Athletic in the most grounds because of, of the restricted access. George was cup correspondent early in the season and went to a few, but uh, so but we, I didn't even know I was going to West Brom until last Thursday when I, I got a message from from uh, one of the editors saying that that you have a pass, and so I delightfully drove the seven-hour round trip <laughs> to go and watch oh, the God. most fulfilling match I've ever seen in my life. So you stepped you stepped in. You kind of stepped in. You stepped in to dog shit. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know what was most incredible? So after the game, after the game, on uh, I was chatting to, to our West Brom reporter, Steve Maidley, and I was just saying about how awful the game was. And he said, he said, oh, that's probably only the third or fourth worst game I've seen this season. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hey, well, maybe it's not just yeah. Newcastle, and maybe you know. Well, I mean, I I watched, I sat and watched that game, and I thought, I thought this is possibly one of the worst games of inverted commas Premier League football I've ever seen. I mean, if that's an advert for the Premier League, then you know, oh, it no, was awful, it was, wasn't it? It was pure it championship. Was garbage. It was one hundred percent championship. Bottom half championship. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> bottom half of the championship. Yeah, it was. It was exactly like that, and it was like, "Hello, hello, next season. Hello, hello at EFL. I better start following yeah. you again." Um, it just made you. It made you feel like that. I mean, there was no, no quality anywhere. And um, I mean, they they ran around, uh, and you know, I know, I know they they came out afterwards and and sort of said that they they were that you know they were they were trying to win and everything, but it it felt to me like sort of containment, and it felt to me like without those three players uh, in attack, that this was sort of you know it was kind of damage limitation. It felt like, but um, I think you know that approach was then shown up by what happened with Fulham at Liverpool afterwards. So. Um, it was just dispiriting. It was just. It was just dispiriting. I mean, it's not what you need, is it? When you're in, when you're in a position where in you don't want to be uh, going away and 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 playing against a team that's below you in the league and not having a go at them. I mean, we were toothless in front of goal. It, it felt like the system didn't really suit the players that were in it, uh, and there, there wasn't a recognisable striker on the pitch as such. I mean, Joel Linton was 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 doing a mild impression of a striker, but he was drifting wide and playing in that that sort of split striker role that he has been recently. Uh, but it just it, it it was just turgid, wasn't it, Chris? It just didn't get going at all, and I, I was waiting for the game to come to life, and it just never happened. Yeah, turgid is the word, and and I mean, you mentioned the system, and I'd, I'd said a couple of weeks ago I had had a bit of an issue with it. I think that. The way I look at it is that system is essentially built A, around John Joe Shelby, get, trying to get the most out of him midfield, and B, the front three positions are basically trying to fit, trying to get the most out of Almiron as a sort of false name, whatever position you want to call it. Then you've got Callum Wilson, who can play as that sort of split forward, and then Alan Sam Maximan giving a bit of a free roll on the other side. And the you could just see the players weren't particularly comfortable with it at the weekend. The one thing that did work in the first 20 minutes was to try and get the ball in behind the fullbacks, the West Brom fullbacks, and then both uh, Fraser and Joe Linton managed to, managed to get in behind. But I, I just thought that, that the players didn't look overly comfortable, didn't necessarily know where they needed to be. I mean, Joe Willock, Bruce came out afterwards and said, oh, Joe Willock's played as, as a number 10 at Arsenal's career. But it's not a number 10 position. When people are talking about it as a number, as, as a number 10 you tend to have a forward directly in front of you who you're feeding, or you have the you have the, the players either side. It, it's not that sort of position. It's it's sort of a hybrid between being a deep line striker and also being a, a slightly advanced midfielder. And 
I thought we saw glimpses from, but equally, he, was, he isn't someone who is going to be in the six-yard box all the time. Dwight Gale came on and played in almost exactly the same position once he eventually came on, and there just wasn't that threat. And it, it, I thought Ryan Fraser was was almost an interesting case appointed because usually the one thing you get from Ryan Fraser is he's very, very direct as soon as he gets somewhere across the ball in the box. But there was a couple of times, particularly in the first half, where he, he hesitated before he put the ball into the area because there wasn't anyone there. And that's very unlike Ryan Fraser. Um, and it just, yeah, there was just no real attack, and threat, certainly after the first 20 minutes. And at the end, Newcastle were essentially hanging on. They were hanging on to try and get a draw. And in the piece that I wrote, that the issue is if you, at some point, Newcastle have to, to win games. They can't, yes, they've got, they got, they've got two points from the last two games. And Steve Bruce talked about, I mean, this, I know there's not a lot of supporters when he came out and talked about the run <laughs> that Newcastle are on. The run, yeah, God almighty. Which he, which he got yeah. incorrect, but even if you go beyond that, the run actually is two two wins in, in, in 18 games. And still the run is is actually two points from the last 12. That That is the run that Newcastle United are on. Um, and they're going to have to go and beat someone. They're going to have to get themselves out of this position. And if they go to second bottom West Brom and try and get a draw, they go to bottom of the table Sheffield United, try to get a draw and lose, who can they reasonably expect to try and beat in the next few weeks? Are they going to go to Brighton a week on Saturday and try out for the draw? Because if they are, then who are they? Who who are they going to try and beat? That's what that's the problem they had. I mean, Steve Bruce says that they did try to win the game. Paul Dummett came out and afterwards, but on all the evidence of what I saw, it was very much a team selection of we cannot lose this game. And if it, if Fulham had lost, then it would have been an okay point. But because Fulham won, Newcastle went up a position. But actually, realistically, that their actual situation has just become even worse. I think the sort of thing is that all of us thought, I mean, certainly I did, you know, a few weeks ago, that Newcastle would be safe by virtue of other clubs being shitter. So, you know, that 10-point cushion or whatever it was with the bottom three, that was massive. And there were clubs beneath them. You know, there were there were a lot of clubs beneath them. So although we knew that Newcastle weren't playing very well and, and you know, and all the rest of it, there was that cushion and that cushion looked big enough. And it's almost like that mentality is still there with the team. And so, you know, I think us and fans and everybody are sort of thinking that this is a really parlous and, and terrible situation. But they're playing as if getting the odd point like that will sort of maintain that 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 buffer. But it's not there anymore. And I, th- I think that mentality, it feels to me like that seeped into things. That when the manager's been asked about it, when the players have been asked about it, they've talked about five or six other teams being in it. They've talked about looking up the table. They've talked about, you know, wanting to try and finish in the top top ten and, and that kind of stuff, even, you know, very, very recently. But this is an absolute dogfight. And you look... I mean, I said this on Twitter after the match. Uh, it was in response to somebody. But I said, you know, the difference is Newcastle are playing as if they're content to stay up. Fulham are playing as if they're desperate to stay up. And that is a big, you know, that is a big difference. And I do sort of think all this stuff about remits and all that kind of stuff, it's like, okay, well, this club is settling to, for staying up, but that's not enough. You've got to absolutely fight tooth and nail for it. You've got to be relentless, and Fulham are being relentless. And it's part of that, you know, they've had one aim all season, Fulham, and that is to stay up. And Newcastle had it when, you know, when we came up. And Leeds have had it this season, you know. And... There is that sort of thing. Fulham had a terrible start, but they're in this... You can just look at them. You look at the way they're playing, and it's properly full-on. Yeah, yeah. And Newcastle absolutely. are not full-on. Newcastle don't have that same 
same sort of thing and it's it is that sort of being sucked into it and it's like if there was if any part of that thinking at the weekend was that well you know a point will be good because that'll stretch the gap to four points and Fulham will lose you know Fulham will lose at Liverpool you just can't be counting on that anymore can you you can't you can't do that you can't do that if you look at the form table from before Christmas to now we are stone cold bottom of it we are absolutely adrift of everybody else in the league by quite a way as well. Um, and I'm worrying that we're getting further and further towards the end of the season and nobody seems to have realised just how perilous, perilous this is yet. And it's almost like there's a delusion around the club of, you know, we'll be fine. Other teams are worse than us. Uh, we'll be fine. But if one thing Newcastle United's taught you over the years is just presuming that other teams are going to do you a favour is not enough, is it? We've been relegated twice off the back of that and... And it's it's just not good enough at the minute and questions have to be asked. We spoke weeks ago about grown-up conversations being had within the club and it seems like they still haven't been had. So I don't know what the next step is, Chris. I don't know where they go from here, um, especially with, with Bruce and, and everything that's come out this week about the about the players and, and about people being unhappy in the in the training ground and in the, in the dressing room. What is the next step here? Because I can't see where this turns round. It feels like free fall at the minute. I agree. I, I can't see where it turns around, but all the indications are at the moment, at least from what we're getting, that, that there isn't that a change is, is not necessarily imminent. I certainly expect Steve Bruce is going to be in charge for Friday night uh, against Aston Villa, which again is another huge match. We see it every single week, but you just look, you look now at, at Brighton a week on Saturday, and you think because that's going into the international break, and surely if Newcastle haven't picked up at least one win from the next two then that surely has to be a time where if Newcastle are going to make a change and it's going to have to be at that point, you would like to think. But, but as you say, that the, the Richie, uh, Richie bust up, what, what, however you want to refer to it. Altercation. Uh, yeah, however, however, however you want to go. I mean, Steve Bruce came out on Friday and said that these things happen up and down on training grounds all over the country every week. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure it is true that there are that there is raised tension. Well, I know that it's true, and you, you get various examples of it. I suppose the one difference is that it, that Richie allegedly called his manager a coward, and I don't think you often get that uh, no. up and down training grounds. Um, the club haven't denied that the case. Haven't, they didn't admit that was the case either, but they haven't denied that that was, was the case. And... It, it it's just I think that, that that's almost a case in point as, as George and I explained in in this long piece of written that, that Richie was he's part of the the core group of players who Steve Bruce has referred to for so long he was um we referred to him as a true believer in the piece he's someone who when Steve Bruce came, first came in was he was adamant that Steve Bruce was was the right man for the job and that he didn't understand all the criticism and and eventually Steve Bruce was influential in helping Matt Richie get another contract and yet there was this flare-up last week and allegedly within it that Matt Ritchie tells Steve Bruce that he's done nothing for him. And, and so it just shows, a, I think, a discontent, at least from some of the players who were there. We've had the Carl Darlow situation and it just feels like there's loads of little fires going off around Newcastle at the moment and all of it is just adding up to... is All of it's adding together and, and creating this uncertain situation. And it, all of it just feels wrong. It fe- Like in 2015-16, it didn't feel right. For much of the 2008-09 season, it didn't feel right. And unfortunately, those sort of lingering feelings of that something's wrong here just it feels it feels eerily similar this time. What was that noise, Chris? Did that you wasn't just me. Throw something at the wall. It was me. I, I just dropped my pen. That I was a pen. pen. It was a pen. Jesus, yeah. that's a big I'll pen. Do it again. Go on. There you go. Bloody hell. There you go. Impressive Sorry. stuff. Um, if I mean, I, I, I kind of. 
I, I feel like I'm coming down on the side of Matt Ritchie with this one because I feel I, I would feel really pissed off if if what had happened to the team, which happened on the in the game where the message got sent on and and there was a bit of uh, you know miscommunication and the goal was scored. If my manager had came out after the game and and kind of essentially thrown me under the bus, I would have I would have been massively pissed off with that, and then allegedly uh, confront him about it and say, no, we'll deal with it at training on Tuesday and all that. I can see Matt Ritchie's the character that would build up a head of steam about this, wouldn't he? And he would. He, I don't think he would be uh, the type of person who would just let it go. He would have to say his piece and he would have to make his point. Um, and I think if you're, if you're going to start throwing around sort of accusations about what's happened on the pitch and stuff like that, the manager's there to take collective responsibility on behalf of the team, isn't he? He's not he's not there to deflect the blame onto the players. He's The best managers always deflect the blame away from the players rather than onto them, don't they? This is what I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that's it's. we know that the kind of fellow that Matt Ritchie is, I mean, when he's happy, he boots a teammate up the arse. When he's happy, he boots a corner flag into a supporter's nuts. I mean, that's what that's what he does when he's happy, let alone when he's unhappy. And he has he has his own reasons for feeling sort of disaffected at the minute from not you know from not being in the team to not getting back to Bournemouth um, in the in uh, the David Onstein column uh, at the start of this week. Uh, it was reported that he'd actually sort of packed up his locker in January, but and and was kind of gone. So you know there are personal things and. You know that sense of these things happen. It's definitely true, but they can be laughed off if your team's doing okay or if you're winning matches. It's it's impossible to laugh off in these circumstances. And there are sort of all sorts of whispers around the club. And you know we spoke to people, and you know there are sort of questions about training. There are questions about days off. All those sort of little things coming out. And again, you know to a certain extent, every dressing room is split because you've always got players who think the managers. The dick for not picking them and you've always got players who like the manager because they are being picked you've got all these little jealousies and things like that that happen absolutely all the time but the the final sort of arbiter is results so it's very easy to paint this picture of an unhappy camp because you've got all these things happening at the same time as results and players have to buy into managers they have to buy into that so the idea is okay we might be getting asked to do something that we don't want to do whether it's you know having a day off cancelled or running you know running for half an hour when you'd prefer to play five aside but if you get results at the end of it and you see it works then that's fine you accept it and you buy into it and you go with it when results do not go your way you question everything you know that's the problem for Steve Bruce at the minute that whatever he's doing and whatever he's saying it's palpably not working in terms of results. It's not, is it? And obviously, the Bruce has been slightly sort of combative in his press conferences and in his interviews and stuff like that. He seems to be very uh, stuck fast on 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 not walking away from the situation. And I, I wouldn't imagine for a minute that he ever would walk away from the situation, Chris. I think he's he's here for the long haul, isn't he? If if Bruce is going to leave, or is it's going to be him getting sacked rather than him resigning, isn't it? Yeah, well, actually, on at Friday's pre-match press conference, I got to ask a question for the first time in a while, so it's still like two or three, sometimes four questions from the written media, and I was able to ask one on Friday, and which was a pretty extraordinary press conference in which we'd heard about leaks and, and various different... Malls uh, as well, about that. club malls. Mall. Yeah, all of this. Uh, <laughs> there was also, it wasn't in our section of the press conference, but there was also... Uh, the stuff about treason and the, the, the leaks coming out and things like that. But but actually, but I asked Steve Bruce. I, I said to him, "Do you ex- do you expect to be Newcastle United manager 
next season. At this point, do you expect to be a Newcastle United manager? And his basically response was, well, I hope so. And then he was also asked by someone else, have you thought about walking away, given everything that's been going on? And he said, no, not for a second. Um, it makes me even more determined. And so Steve Bruce is not is not going to go anywhere of his, of his own accord. It is He still believes that he can turn this around. He still believes that, that Newcastle United are going to be in the Premier League next season. They're only a point above the relegation zone now, albeit they've got a game in hand in, in, on the team below them, but the team two below them, sorry. Um, but yeah, it's 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 going to be it's going to be whether the, the club will act or not. And from from the piece that George and I wrote uh, ten days ago, so Newcastle are still not in the relegation zone. That's historically when they've acted. There were even suggestions. I mean, David Ornstein mentioned them again on them. Um, and the video that I've done with them for for Ask Ornstein for, for the Athletic this morning that he's there's even been suggestions at least from some people that, that that isn't beyond the realms of possibility that even if Newcastle went down that Steve Bruce would remain in charge. There are all the what ifs, and it's very different if Newcastle were actually dropping the relegation zone. I think that focuses minds, but I don't think that we we're still at the stage where it's inevitable that Steve Bruce goes. I think it's I think to look forward to next season though and to, and, and to envisage next season regardless of what division Newcastle are in and for their if they are can be full crowds back and Steve Bruce in charge I still can't see how that would work I can't see how that as an atmosphere would work but at the moment that he doesn't look it doesn't look imminent that he's going anywhere Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're going to talk a little bit about the takeover and the arbitration case and proceedings that uh, that Newcastle uh, have at the moment uh, against the Premier League. And Mike actually released a statement during the week. And I'll be honest, it, as, a, as a Newcastle fan, it's the longest statement I've read coming out of the club in, in the 10 plus years that he's been here. Uh, Astonishing goings on at the minute, Chris, in the in the courts, and I mean, I'm a bit of a luddite when it comes to the law and order stuff. So I don't know if you can fill in the gaps here for me. But Newcastle requested the removal of the chairman of the arbitration panel, uh, and the High Court ruled against them. And that that's kind of the, the the top and bottom of what I've got from it. Yeah. So just as George and I were in the middle of sort of compiling this piece on uh, Bruce versus Ritchie and sort of focusing minds on that, all of a sudden this Newcastle statement just just popped up. Uh, club update, I think, was was the headline. Nothing else in it, and I mean, we hear we hear from Newcastle so infrequently, but they they are this 
this is, I think, the third or fourth, certainly at least the third. We're hearing from we're hearing from Big Mike absolutely all the time on this. Yes, on this. So, um, and and so in that sense, I welcome the fact that they are communicating a little bit more on this. But it also just draws more attention to the fact that they're not communicating on anything else. But we'll get on that in a second. In terms of what the actual statement was about, it was about. Well, it's about the takeover situation, but basically about arbitration, but the arbitration panel. So I'll try and sum this up briefly. The way arbitration works is there is a three-person panel appointed. The Premier League proposes someone. Newcastle United proposed someone. So the Premier League have proposed Lord Dyson. Newcastle have proposed Lord Newberger. And then between them, they collectively agree on who the chair of it should be. And collectively, they both agreed on someone called Michael Bailoff. Subsequently... The Premier League's lawyers revealed that uh, Michael Beloff had given advice to the Premier League back in 2017 when they had basically changed part of their owners and directors test. And usually in, in these sort of circumstances, at least having listened to many legal experts, this is perfectly normal. It's just the sort of thing you would reveal and nobody would have objection to it. But Newcastle have objected to it on the basis that they think that Michael Beloff in some way would be biased or at least can't be put in a position where he can make a decision on this. And so try to have him removed couldn't get him removed just of their own accord so then took the Premier League or took the situation to the High Court to try and get Beloff removed they have lost that case so Beloff will be on the three-man arbitration panel the arbitration which is still not begun because of this so this was in October this happened we're now into March and the arbitration has not begun because Newcastle appeared against us there was also a second point where Newcastle tried to get the arbitration here in itself to be made in public because arbitration usually happens privately so Newcastle also lost on that point, but what they did win on was the ability for these judgments to be released because they'd been in the High Court. So it was a very unusual thing that Newcastle asked for arbitration to be made public, and it was it just seemed it seemed very interesting the club who speaks so little about so many different things were so keen on open transparency on on, yeah. their, on this one point, which is great <laughs> in one sense because it would be great to have it out there, but it it, it is it would be atypical for this to be in public because arbitration hearings usually are private and sometimes you don't even hear the ins and outs of them after the arbitration has, has even concluded. It's another twist and turn, isn't it, in the story of this takeover and, and you know, it's so many years in the making now and we're, we're hopefully coming towards the end of it, George. I mean, where does the process the process currently stand? Chris is saying the arbitration hasn't started yet. What's the What's the possible outcomes here from this? Well, we're not we're no we're no further forward in terms of possible outcomes. Um, but what we are is four months down the line, and we're still waiting for arbitration to begin. So, I mean, I'm saying the club have wasted four months. It's wasted because they've lost this they've lost this challenge, and they could yet appeal it. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so we could be here for a while yet. So we could be here for a while yet. I mean, the other kind of interesting thing is that you know is the statement that there is from Ashley that he is still committed to get the takeover through and um you know wanting for the, wanting the best for Newcastle fans and whatever whatever else it was I'm paraphrasing there but um you know obviously with the situation that it is that the team is in um, that side of the club is in it raises all sorts of questions doesn't it because the closer we get to the end of the season the closer we get to potentially relegation the closer we get to Newcastle's worth being a lot less than it is now and um, you know, so it 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 as always with these statements, as always with this process that's been going on for so freaking long now. You know, we're left every single thing that happens just opens up another round of questions and uncertainty and and delay. Can I can I just 
focusing on the point of what arbitration is about as well. I think that it's sort of, I think some people maybe have got a little bit confused and think that, that if if and when arbitration, the hearing comes back, and if, if it comes out positively on Newcastle's side, then suddenly the takeover <laughs> yeah, definitely happens. The takeover's done. It's, it's, no, it's the not. The arbitration point, is, it's over one specific point, and that specific point is whether the Saudi state would be a shadow uh, director of Newcastle United, and therefore they themselves should be put through the owners and directors test. The argument from Newcastle United and from the prospective buyers is that the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund is a separate entity from uh, the Saudi government. The argument the Premier League are making is that that because there are uh, Saudi officials on the board of PIF and that basically it is part of the state itself that therefore the state has to be put through the owners and directors test so the, the we're trying to determine at the moment whether that is the case and if it is the case then it it seems difficult to comprehend how the takeover could necessarily happen given all the negative publicity there's been over the last year of various different things piracy obviously uh, Khashoggi everything on that those sorts of levels but even if even if Newcastle and the prospective owners arbitration falls on their side it doesn't necessarily mean the takeover definitely happens they've still got to go through the rest of the owners and directors test it makes it a lot more likely but it, it isn't just if Newcastle win arbitration suddenly the takeover definitely happens and will happen immediately we're not actually at that stage yet so that's how frustrating things still are the quote on the official website says the club is committed to the speedy and fair determination of its claims so that the proposed takeover can go ahead as soon as possible however it felt it had to make this application given the need for the dispute to be determined by way of fair process and that they're still considering an appeal. But again, the point is that this has already taken four months. And so you can argue by by doing this, they, they've actually moved further away from the takeover happening because, as I say, with the, with the end of the season sort of fast approaching, um, you know, who knows what the club is worth? Who, who knows whether it could go ahead in those circumstances? Right, well, we'll, we'll move on now. Uh, we're going to come to our archive. And this week... We're going to be going back just five short years to the day that Rafa Benitez rolled up to St. James's Park in a silver people carrier and his corduroy jacket jumped out, went inside, had a meeting with Lee Charnley and became Newcastle United manager. He flicks it and in off Stephen Taylor and Bournemouth take the lead. And here's King in on goal. What a chance! What a finish! And is that the finish of Steve McLaren at Newcastle United? a frenzied few minutes here. A blacked out people carrier just travelling down Barrack Road here. Everyone hot-footed down to one of the entrances and caught first glimpse of Rafa Benitez arriving here at St James's Park. He's here, he's in Newcastle. Steve McLaren, of course, only sacked this morning at 10.30. Official confirmation from Newcastle at 11.30. And in our first glimpse of Rafa Benitez just around 15 minutes ago. The first thing is, um, for me, the fans, the statue of the club and the future. So I have seen all these things together. I said in my press conference that I came here because that. So a lot of positive things here from day one, everything together 
means that uh, I'm really pleased, really happy to be here. It's astonishing that it's five years, isn't it? Isn't it? It feels, it doesn't feel like five years, but at the same time, it feels like twice as long as that. I don't know if that makes sense, but. The fabulous thing, though, isn't it? You know, five years on, look at the club now. I know, look, look, at, where, where, look, at, look at where Newcastle is. Look at how it's far so we've great. come. <laughs> I mean, I know, it was such a terrible, such, oh, you know, such a terrible I mean, place back now. But all we'd never find late, ourselves oh, in that no. position again, would we? God, no. Oh. Sorry, I was thinking about a completely different club there. Yeah. No, um, we're in exactly the same position. Aren't we? A normal Shit. club that Don't isn't you. a complete fucking bin fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the elbows on that jacket, though, oh. are quite were quite incredible. I still have that vision of when he arrives in that suit and he's got the sort of elbow patches on. They are quite a Geography team. teacher. They geography make those jackets for history and geography teachers. That's what they make them jackets for. I had one of those when I was a, a college lecturer a few years ago. I went and bought a corduroy jacket with elbow patches. Uh, I, yeah, I wasn't asked to manage a Premier League club, though, so I'm slightly disappointed about that. But uh, yeah, but Rafa came in with, with such pedigree and, and, and such a great CV at a time when the club was struggling. Uh, obvious parallels to the situation that we're in at the moment with Steve McLaren uh, losing games and, and losing favour with the fans and stuff like that. Uh, and Rafa Benitez came in and instantly lifted the mood, didn't he? Uh, came in, had that meeting and then t- took training that night with the players in his uh, in his tracksuit and stuff like that. And, and I mean, looking back at the time as a fan, it gave you an instant injection of hope, didn't it? it kind of instantly changed the mood around the club and it changed the story and it made everything feel a little bit better. And I know we didn't manage to get out of that position in that that season. We still got relegated. But for that few weeks as when Rafa came in, the, the, the mood around the club lifted massively, didn't it, Chris? It did. And I mean, let's just go back to, to the week leading up to it. So Newcastle lose... Are beaten three one at home by Bournemouth, absolutely embarrassingly done over by a team who've just been promoted. It's clear it's McLaren's uh, is on his last legs, but then there was an excruciating week where Steve McLaren still has to take training as as Newcastle's board at the time, the the football board, quote unquote, were basically meeting up in York and then spending the week trying to find his replacement. Steve McLaren was was having to, it was excruciating. I, I thought it was really really handled very very badly that week that he had it to go was, and take it, yeah. it was the last to know exactly what was what was going on but then I, at the time I was still working for the for the Chronicle and Journal and I remember the Monday or sort of Tuesday trying to find out who maybe they could go for and if Rafa Benitez had sort of been mentioned by a couple of people but but I, I just didn't see any realistic and I'm going to be I'm going to embarrass myself here and say at the time I was sort of it's not pushing, like you Chris pushing for someone <laughs> pushing for someone like Nigel Pearson just to give them a kick oh. on the backside because well, I didn't you and I didn't, Michael, I did, both of you here yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't see it as being realistic that, that Rafa Benitez, who'd been at Real Madrid four months be three three months before, wasn't even three months before, would trade that for Newcastle United in the position to win under Mike Ashley, third bottom of the Premier League, heading for the championship, everything that had gone on. I just couldn't I couldn't see how that was gonna happen, and yet absolutely extraordinary. He took that challenge and he came and he saw he saw the potential in Newcastle, he saw that, that, that it was a club that was on its knees but could be lifted again and just I still I still I still remember how amazed I was that week and that that weekend when he came in that press conference it, it remains astonishing now 
And and those those words like hope and potential and history and stature they were so important to everybody. And that was the that was the point about his his management of the club that it did remind people that actually there was something quite good about Newcastle or could be if to use that phrase of Rafa's people did things the right way or did things right. But we're gonna we're interspersing a few clips from an interview I did with him just before Christmas to to which and that interview was about the the film coming out. We are the Geordies, the brilliant film that we've talked about on the podcast and he he talked also about you know the risks to his own reputation by coming in when i went to newcastle united it was an opportunity to keep a, a top side uh, a big uh, club in the premier league and try to build something from there we couldn't do it and it was a very difficult decision because uh, we were coming from Real madrid and we were successful in napoli we went yeah, to yeah. titles in napoli so I was coming to the Premier League because I wanted to stay close to the family and Newcastle United was a challenge. It was an opportunity to be in the top side that wanted to be at the level that they deserve to be. So to go down the motion of the, of the last game and the promise that we will spend and we will compete is okay. We analyze everything. We take the challenge. It was a big risk. I don't see any top manager at this time taking the risk. We did it because uh, we, we felt the, the love and the support of the fans, and uh, we thought that we could do it. And again, I would say it was a very, very risky decision because nobody knows the championship, how difficult is the championship. Of course, uh, Rafa signed an initial three-year deal with a get-out clause, didn't he, if the club got relegated? And obviously that is what came to pass. Uh, that last day of the season will we'll live long in the memory of the game against Spurs, the 5-1 win. Uh, I was actually in Germany at the time in a in a, uh, in a pub in, in Munich uh, for my birthday uh, watching the game on the TV. Uh, and at the time, I, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing, and the noise and the crowd and the, uh, everyone got beat. Was that just because of the beer? Well, I was drunk, so that didn't help. But, <laughs> but um, the, the, the I couldn't believe what I was seeing, which was three of them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes. But it was just an incredible day, wasn't it? And I think Rafa's been on record as saying that was the day that he, he, he kind of, the decision was made for him. And he said, how, you know, how can I leave? How can I leave these people? I believe that was something he said, dad said to his daughters, how can I, how can I leave these people with the, with the reaction like that? And, and, and I think we showed him how much we loved him. And he, he returned that to us with, with agreeing to stay in the championship. And that is, that is a massive thing for a man of Rafa Benitez's stature to do. Take a, take a, a dive like that down into a lower league uh, and and potentially risk his own uh, risk his own reputation on it. it it was huge yeah absolutely and um i think you forget in in retrospect sort of how what hard work the championship season was i mean newcastle you know did finish top and finish as champions and then a bit like the previous relegation you look back on it and sort of think oh it was a fait accompli from the start but it wasn't it was a battle it was um, you know, it was tough week in, week out. That that division is just, it's relentless. It's competitive. It's all those things. And, you know, he stayed he stayed in this alien environment for him, not knowing the division at all, starting again and, and getting on with it. And, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the sadness is that we didn't get to see Rafa uh, at the top of his game. Or to rephrase that, he might well have been at the top of his game, but he wasn't at the top of his game at a club that was at the top of its game. You know, he was at a club that didn't listen to him enough, that wasn't able to challenge at the top of the table and eventually eventually had to go, obviously. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the things that he did straight away from, from my point of view as a fan is that he, he made me feel 
connected to the club again in a, in a time when I when I hadn't felt connected to the club for a long long time it had been it had been a while since I'd been to a game at St James's Park I had I had been sort of you know one of these people who decided to leave and and, and not uh, and not pay not give my money to Mike Ashley uh, and when Rafa Benitez came back and he, he just gave me that little sparkle that little bit of hope again that that it could be different, that that maybe Mike Ashley might think, oh, actually, you know, we, we've got a chance of doing something here. We could push on for Europe or whatever. Uh, and, and he had that ambition and that drive and he wanted to take the club forward. But again, the club just didn't match, didn't match his expectations and his ambition and it didn't match uh, what the fans wanted as well. And, and you know, we, we're seeing parallels of that now. We're in, a, we're in the same position now uh, with struggling in the league and a, a manager that isn't, uh, doing himself any favours and but we're not going to see another Rafa Benitez are we we're not going to get another one of those there is no suggestion at the moment unfortunately that that is going to be the case there doesn't seem to be uh, and, and again as we say didn't actually manage to keep Newcastle United up but, but they went down with momentum if that's possible in a bizarre story. I mean it took them a few weeks to start turning things around and then the way that they ended the season um, it, it just everyone feels so many supporters you hear and say if he just arrived two games sooner it felt like that wasted the matches against Stoke and Bournemouth which if Benitez had come in sooner had a little bit more time to work with them in that 21 day break or whatever it was Newcastle could have come back but but as you say the what Benitez did which uh, Kevin Keegan did famously obviously and also Sir Bobby Robson did was that the, the biggest asset that Newcastle United have is their supporters. They are the biggest asset that the club has and to get everyone moving in the same direction, Benitez constantly spoke about that and trying to create this unity and we had things crop up like Gallagher flags which became war flags and all these sorts of things and everyone was, particularly in the championship season and then the first season back in the Premier League when there was a clear goal this is what we need to get promoted this year then it's we need to stay up and the momentum sort of waned by the start of the second season back in the Premier League because the progress hadn't been made that he wanted. The changes were there. And to get everyone to buy into that again was more difficult. And that's the problem at the moment with Newcastle is it doesn't nobody there doesn't seem to be a direction. There isn't anything to, to get behind. There isn't anything to, to rebuild. And if, if your hope every season is just to try and avoid relegation, at some point you're gonna fail at that and at some point you're gonna go down. And unfortunately it looks it's looking increasingly likely there's a there's a very good chance that could be this season. And that's what the concerning thing is. And I think that even if Newcastle survived this year, a lot of fans are worried about well if it's not this year then it'll just be next season if if a takeover doesn't happen as at the moment it it isn't necessarily going to so that's that's the big frustration people people sort of say that oh it was pr with rafa you, had a, you know and it's well yeah it was in the sense that he knew how to communicate with people and he said the things that people wanted to hear he spoke about why newcastle could be good and he spoke about newcastle's history he spoke about the potential he spoke but he he had an idea about how those things could be reconnected and he did it and so you know part of that is is about you know opening up and letting people in and letting people see the club for what it can be and everybody buying into it and that happened and um you know and it created a very powerful it it created a very powerful bond there are a couple of things to say i mean in this interview that we did he did say um you know he said that he had he had no regrets about going that he felt that he had to leave at the end i didn't have any other option in may they knew that i was leaving in january i knew because i i could see that there was not an ambition anyway it's just just carry on and then at the end when we had the last meeting and uh, i was assured that we would not be investing in the academy 
and in the training ground, I could see that there was not any hope that uh, it would be progressing or improved. But but the other thing, Taylor, though, he also said that he had no regrets about joining the club in the first place. And I think that's right. I mean, I think that, you know, it's important that we, you know, it might not have ended in the way that we wanted, in the sense that it didn't end with Newcastle winning trophies or being established in the top 10 or top 6 or whatever. But that part of history was actually quite important because at least he helped us make us feel again. At least he made us feel something. That second half of that last season when he was in charge um, is is one of the most enjoyable times I've had as a fan for Newcastle watching us at that point when Sean Longstaff came through after Almiron had signed and we had Perez and Rondon up front. That I got an awful lot of enjoyment out of those games and out of watching the team at that time to a point that I hadn't had for a long, long time, you know. Uh, and and Rafa did that. Rafa made that team, and I, it felt like we were building towards something, didn't it? It felt like we were kind of we had a direction and we had a purpose. In that second half of that season, I could see you could see clearly where the club was going. You could see the balance that he had created and the, the way the team was playing and how he wanted to play. He kind of got them off the back foot and he, they'd become this counter-attacking force. This is why it feels so disappointing to me that he, he wasn't able to continue that. You know, as a fan, I would have been really excited to see where the club could have went with that. And who knows? Who knows? Obviously, he had to leave and he went to China, uh, and but he still has a fantastic connection with the club. Clearly, you have a better connection with some clubs than others, no? and normally when you are successful and then you give everything, the fans appreciate that. And Newcastle United is this club, and the city is uh, this kind of city, like uh, Liverpool, Valencia, or Tenerife. You keep this connection, and now with the, the castle of uh, I'm a celebrity, uh, get me out of here. So I put uh, an Instagram something about Hans and Blake, and the fans go boom, 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 Really good. And you you have this uh, this feeling, so it's a part of your heart. And you can say United and the city will be home. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. So there we go, Rafa Benitez. Five years ago, it doesn't feel like it, does it? It feels it feels like, like I said at the top, it feels like five minutes ago, but also it feels like a long, long time and a lot of stuff has gone since he left. This season feels like five years. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Oh, well, Sunday's game yeah. felt like five years. Oh, Chris, I mean... It I, did, yeah. Chris, I, I do envy you the job you have in going to games and covering, but on Sunday I was sat on my couch with a beer and you were at the Hawthorns and I thought I wouldn't swap places with you for the world. <laughs> I'm going to Brighton in a couple of weeks, can't wait. Oh, that'll be a good run. 
lovely stuff. It was strange because, because as I say, I hadn't been to an away game in such a long time and it was different to an away game because there isn't the sort of social element. I wasn't seeing other students. I wasn't seeing fans. But because we've been in this lockdown, actually the, the seven-hour round trip was in a strange sort of way. Refreshing probably isn't the right <laughs> word, but it was, a, it was a welcome change of scenery. The issue was the two hours that I was actually in it's the It's always the case with Newcastle away games. The, the trip's always great. It's the 90 minutes of football which tends to fuck everything up for you. Did you drive, Chris? Did you drive? Yes. Jesus, a man who can't use a razor and he can't <laughs> shave his own head is allowed to be in charge of five ton. A missile on the motorway. My God. Right, anyway, chaps, that's enough of that. Let's move on. Uh, this week's quiz is hosted by the one and only Mr. George Cook. And George, would you like to take over? Yes, I would. Right, we're sticking with Rafa Benitez, okay? Because I think that's I think that's um, I think that's fair enough. And I'm sticking with the penalty shootout format that uh, I did last time, because I quite enjoyed that. And for this week's quiz, we are in the Trent House, so we are just outside Leeds Park. We're we're stones throw, we're a goal kick from the stadium, and we're in that great bustly, nestly sort of pub. We're on the ground floor, there's a pool table upstairs, but we're supping pints of beer and we're 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 ruminating after one of Rafa's games in the championship and Newcastle have won. Wow. And do you know what? That is just a nice feeling, isn't it? Newcastle yes. have won. It's the four three win over Norwich. We're there late in the there night. You go. All right. Late in the night. All right. It's late in the stuff. night. Beautiful. Beautiful. And that championship season is that great memory of it doesn't really matter where you are if you're winning matches. Anyway. <laughs> um so, I want to take you back to Rafa's first match in charge, okay? It's March the 14th, 2016. It's Leicester City, top of the table, Leicester City won Newcastle United nil, And Leicester win with a Shinji Okazaki overhead kick. Right, so it's the format, the same format as last time. I'm going to ask you to name players who appeared in Rafa's first game in okay. charge. And if you get it right... You score a penalty. If you get it wrong, you miss a penalty. So it's kind of quite quick fire. Um, Taylor, heads or tails? Is it starting lineup? Just to check. Yes, starting lineup. Heads or tails? Taylor. Um, heads. Right, it is a head. Do you want to go first or um, second? I'll go second, please. Right, so Chris goes first. I need to write this down. So members of Newcastle starting lineup in Braffa's first game. Leicester won, Newcastle nil. Over to you, Chris. Musa Sissoko. Correct. <laughs> uh, Ginny Wijnaldum. Wijnaldum, yes. Chris. I believe Jack Colback was at left-back. Wow. Oh, I thought that would catch you out, but it didn't. Um, Scores with another penalty. Taylor. Oh, God. Uh, Stephen Taylor. Correct. Yeah. Uh, John Joe Shelby. Correct. Three out of three for Chris. Amazing. I was there. Um, Oh, okay. Three out of three for Chris. Um, Oh, God. Uh, Daryl Janmart. Yes. Correct. Well, I'm doing that with three gritted teeth. By the way, if it's still five, if it's still five all... Or if it's if if you've got the entire first team, we're going into substitute. So all oh, right, on, okay, Chris. right, good because I'm not going to say right to it because I already know who what at least one of the subs was. Um, I'm trying to think who started up front. Uh, I don't know this for certain, but I'm going to go Mitrovic, Alexander Mitrovic. Correct, <laughs> Mitrovic. Oh God. Um, Just... <sighs> who would have been in goal? 
Uh, oh, it was well before Dubrovka, wasn't it? Um, Rob Elliott. Oh, Jackson. Correct. Four, four. Oh my goodness. Eight out oh, of the eight pressure. for the starting lineup. Um, I think he. I think he was fit at this. I think he was playing. I always say Perez. Obviously, out Leicester City now. Is correct, Chris. Five out of five. It's a perfect penalty shootout from Chris. So Shit. far. Shit, Taylor, Chris. you've got two left from this team. Chris, I wasn't counting on you being that good. <laughs> uh, oh, who did we? I think I know one. I think I know one of the other two, but I'm trying to think who the other one is. Come on, don't put him off. You're giving um, him the eyes. <laughs> Jamal Rosales. The starting lineup is correct. Oh, that's, the one I, that's the one I didn't think I knew. Get so. in. Oh, I think. Right, oh. we are now in sudden death. So there's one member of the first team, uh, the first 11 to name, and then we're going on so to... So am I allowed to go on to the subs? Um, oh, see, this is I'm, I'm going to have to make a decision. Yes, you are allowed to go right. on the subs, and it can be non-playing subs. It doesn't matter whether they came on or not. I don't care Oh, right, well, well, I'm, well, I've got one who oh, came Jesus. on. The only appearance he made under Rafa Benitez, I believe, was Sadie Dumbia. Dumbia. Fuck, I was going to say that. I had a feeling that was that game. Dumbia was in the squad, yes. Uh, Andros Townsend. Andros Townsend. See, this has given us another kind of. This has opened up the well, the thing. I can't believe you've given non-playing subs as an answer because that just makes. Well, sense. I just I, I just have to come on. Uh, I think the last player. I think we're missing a midfielder, so I'm trying to think. I think it might be Vernon Anita. Ooh. Correct. So that's all of the first eleven now named. So oh subs. God. Um, this is extraordinary. Uh, um. Friggin' hell. Um, Carl Darlow? Tension. Carl Darlow was a substitute keeper, correct. Come on, Chris. Come on, Chris. This is ridiculous. I don't know if he was in the squad, but obviously, famously in McLaren's last game, Emmanuel Rivier starred up front, so I'm going to have to go for Emmanuel Rivier because I'm running out of players I can remember. <laughs> You say Emmanuel Rivier, where have you dragged Whoa. that from, Christopher? Because you are right. God, um, extraordinary. This is eight seven in the penalty oh, shootout. God, I can't think of players now. I can't. I can't think of who's been said as well. God, this is going to be the longest podcast ever. There's only three left. God, I don't know. I can't think of any other players. Um, <laughs> Mark McDonald. <laughs> Nobby Solano. No. Um, Oh, um, I'm not giving Sim, you any clues. Sim De Jong. Oh, fuck. Yes. God's sake. De Jong is correct. Come on, Chris. Oh, oh Chris, mother. Come on, Chris. Ridiculous. This is eight. I didn't even think he was there, but of course Come he on, was. Chris. He was. Sim um, De Jong. Made out of broken biscuits. <laughs> and tarbash and glass. <laughs> was he, I think he was injured, so I think this is going to be wrong, but I can't think of anyone else. In a, because I interviewed him recently, I'm just going to put. I'm just going to see him. Jamie Sterry. I, I think he was injured, so I don't think he was. But... Oh, knob off, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, god. Really? is there anyone else in the squad there's only one left I, I haven't worked out what I to do with um, I can't if, think if of I, can't, Taylor gets I can't think of another footballer I just can't think of one um, 9-8 in the penalty uh, shooter I was going to do two rounds of this, but this is the. It's going to have to be, isn't it? What happens if I get this right? Well, we're going. We're going to go straight to the tiebreaker. Okay. Um... 
Henry Sivey. Yes! That's ridiculous. I cannot oh, no. believe that. No chance. Are you both cheating? <laughs> no. No. I cannot believe you've got the entire oh. first 11 and all substitutes right. That's incredible. I'm going to have to get an elaborate system of cameras rigged up. And I mean, I already do have that, actually. But um, <laughs> That's extraordinary. I don't know whether to take that seriously or not. I think you're both cheating. I think you've somehow found out what I'm doing. <laughs> That is nonsense. <laughs> that is just nonsense. Well done, Taylor. Well oh, played. well played, Chris. Well that was played, that was quite a I duel. Think I wouldn't have got Savvy at the that end. That was quite a duel. I would have named I mean, three I, people. I, I was only thinking, Savvy's been here for so long that you could have named any game in the last 10 years and he probably would have been in. That <laughs> is just, that's ridiculous. Dumbia. I'm, 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 I'm very, very dubious about Dumbia. I'm very dubious Dumbia, about Dumbia, I mentioned Saive. Dumbia last week. I mentioned Dumbia I'm, the other week. It was one of the questions on the quiz I mean, in the week. I mean, Dumbia I wouldn't have got. I wouldn't have got Jack Callback playing at left-back. I would not have got that in the first 11. So I'm glad you said that, Chris, because that would have left me with... With no option. That is ridiculous. He had no left backs when he first came. How in. are we going to decide this, Chris? Is it tops off fighting a car park? Is that what we're doing? I think it needs to be. Yeah, in front of an open fire, actually. Um, yeah. Like Oliver Reed in Women in Love. Right. So the the second penalty shootout was going to be Rafa's last game in charge, which of course was Fulham nil, Newcastle four. I'm just going to go through that. I don't care what you say. Dubravka, Hayden, Charlesells, Dummett, Richie, Perez, Shelby. Diame, Atsu and Rondon. I'm not going to do the subs. Hayden was right wing back, he if was. I remember correctly. He was, wow. yes. 5-4-1 formation. Yes. Incredible. Um, but I want to know the attendance at Craven Cottage that day, and it's whoever oh, gets God. closest. Um, I don't even know what the win. attendance at Craven Cottage is. I don't even know what the capacity is. No, me neither. Well, then, well, then that's a good question. Then, I know it's it? low, isn't it? Oh, is this is this not the time when they, when they had one of the stands closed as well? Well, I'm going to let Chris go first this time because Taylor went first with the... No, no, who went first with the penalties? Chris went first with the penalties. Taylor, you have to go first. No, I... Oh, yeah, it's a Oh, God. Um, it's not that much, is it? Is it, is it even above 30,000? I think... I can't, I can't remember. I don't um, want questions, I want answers. No, all right, come on. 29,500. 29,500. Okay, Chris... 27,384. Yeah. I've balls that, haven't I? Okay, so, Chris, you are this oh, week's winner. Yes! Hell. The attendance uh, that day... He's finally lost, he's finally lost. The attendance that day was 24,000. I knew it wasn't a very big ground, I knew I'd gone too high. Oh my goodness. Overshot. I'm spent. Oh, I am as well, I'm going to need to lie down after this. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um... What mm. an extraordinary quiz. I mean, that was... We don't get much credit for penalty shootouts. I mean, we were down I mean, to the goalkeepers taking country. pens there, weren't we? That was ridiculous. That was absolutely ridiculous. I'm just checking that I got that right. Yeah, 24,979. <laughs> oh, God. Well, well there done, you go. Chris. Thank you. That's it, chaps. Well... Chris, well played, mate. Well deserved. I mean, you know. Well, thank you. Just, just, on the, just on the, just on the subject of quizzes. Obviously, on last Friday we did have the Athletics' big Newcastle United quiz, which was a great success. Mm. Raised a lot of money for Prostate Cancer UK, and for everyone who took part, thank you very much. Um, there's some really big scores in it. But if you didn't get the opportunity to, then you can now play the Athletics' big Newcastle United quiz. If you just go onto the app and in the Newcastle United feed, it will be there. There's 40 questions. 
each multiple choice you get 20 seconds to answer each of them and yeah just to test yourself knowledge and if you don't like any of them then blame george there you go (laughs) (laughs) wonderful wonderful stuff well lads thank you very much uh for your time and thank you uh out there for listening uh please remember to hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss any shows and leave us a review and a rating if you're feeling particularly generous and we'll be back next week with another pot on the time thanks very much stay safe look after yourselves The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.